Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. My name is Paul Blasey, and today I'm really pleased to welcome Ben Sporer. Ben is the current Director of Performance Research and Innovation at the Vancouver Whitecaps. He previously worked for the Canadian Sports Institute, supporting athletes across three full summer and winter Olympic cycles. He is here today to talk with us about how he has built an elite performance team, including the medical department, how they use data science to inform the decisions that they take, and the return to play post-COVID-19. Welcome, Ben. Thanks. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Ben, could you tell us a little bit about your role at the Vancouver Whitecaps and how you've used your exercise physiology background to inform what you do? I came on with the organization in 2014 as a sports science consultant. Really, they had a strong medical team at the time, and it was really more to advise them on and provide some guidance around the areas of uh, sports science, whether it be data collection, integrating programs to function together, and also to have that anchor as a physiologist, bring that perspective to the lens when they're looking at programming and or planning. We had a transition year at the end of 2018. So they approached me to talk about a different approach uh, or to what my thoughts were on potentially coming in in a different role. And we sat down and talked quite a bit about that with the ownership group and the senior management at the time about where the club was heading and what they wanted to do. And there was a vision born that the ownership had had for a while and it sort of came to fruition. And one of those pieces was to bring in a new performance strategy on how the club wanted to approach performance as a whole. And certainly I wasn't a football person from the background, a multi-sport, lots of different areas. But one of the things that I had presented to the club over the years leading into that was the approach of how, how things are done in Olympic sport and a sport institute model where you have multidisciplinary components that look at performance as the end whole as being the output. And traditionally, I think in a lot of pro sports, especially in North America, partnered that with the physical preparation of athletes. Not even necessarily there is so much as sports medicine, but it's almost been a, a renaming of roles for traditional strength and conditioning or a mixture of nutrition. And, and the lens that the club was taking at the time and what we had talked about and was rethinking how we describe performance uh, and then building a strategy around what that looks like. And the key word with that, which is a buzzword, unfortunately, but it's a key word, is that the strategy had to be integrated. So both vertically and horizontally. So across the club, from the technical tactical side to player recruitment to athlete development, so all the way down through our academy. And then looking at what we ultimately define as performance for the club and making sure that all those pieces were working together and prioritizing certain aspects where needed. What sort of insights do you feel that your exercise physiology background has brought to the medical care of the team at the Whitecaps? You know, physiology is an interesting field. I think it's certainly, it's one of those fields that transpires or crosses boundaries between all the other fields, especially when you think of medicine. Physiology is a huge component of medicine, even rehab, neuromuscular physiology, nutritional biochemistry physiology, and then you got respiratory, cardiorespiratory. And one of the things that physiology has taught me was that you take an integrated approach. You're highly aware that it's not one piece that sort of relates to the output of what the body does. So you can think about an environmental insult to the body, such as altitude or heat, but that person's response to that, that stressor is going to be varied by a lot of different factors. Their training history, their age, their genetic makeup, their nutritional components, their hydration, their time at altitude, any acclimation process they've gone through. And so you have to think about all the pieces as a whole, how they interact to, to relay that out, output. And so over my course of my career, I've evolved 
my thinking from a physiology side and I've really taken that approach to everything that's performance. And so taking that same integrated model of, of performance and the factors that lead to that. And so we can think about we might have the best physical preparation plan for an athlete, but it means nothing if the athlete can't kick a football or defend 1v1. And, and likewise, you can have all the best tactics in the world in a certain situation. And if that athlete's got an injury or they're, they're compromised in a long-term chronic overuse type of situation, that no matter how much you keep repeating that tactical execution or that technical execution, you potentially run into a problem and you limit performance for that athlete. So when we talk about medicine specifically, I'm, I'm not sure it's necessarily the physiologist that allows it for it to function well, but to me, it's more the being able to speak multiple languages. We have a multilingual approach to performance, recognize that each area has got its expertise and those areas do influence each other. Do you feel that maximizing performance is actually one of the best ways of preventing an injury? And I think there's situations in sport where you could question whether or not maximizing performance actually puts an athlete at risk. But I think it's a very narrow lens of performance. So if you, if you are trying to maximize performance in a single moment, all sport does cause risk. It's a, quite often it's high intensity efforts, quite often contact, putting athletes in risky situations at very, very high levels of output. I think maximizing performance does not necessarily say that you are going to maximize performance at the risk of injury. I think where we work really well as a club and on the medical side and the technical tactical side is that we realize that if we have an athlete who may be going out early, that's not the situation we want just for one game performance because the longevity of the athlete's career and the health of that athlete is not prioritized. Uh, and we're, you're way better to have a healthy longe- athlete that has a longevity uh, as opposed to a single shot. What sort of conversations take place on a day-to-day basis between you and your medical team to enhance the performance and health of the players? Well, we actually have a really great process at the club. I think and it's a carryover from the, the previous setup that we had. Is There's a daily meeting for the team between medical practitioners, therapists, doctor joins in regular basis, our physical prep coaches, which other clubs call our strength and conditioning coaches, our dietitian, our data science team, our psychologist is often in there. So it's an integrated discussion where we go through each athlete and the, the topics that we talk about on a regular basis would be things such as what is the current status of the athlete? If there's any, if, it is, if they're all green, ready to go, there's no concerns. Or if someone brings up a concern, we discuss it at the time. And then we move on to the next athlete. When we get to an athlete that's in a call it a return to play process, that discussion, depending on that stage of return to play, and even the whole preparation for that athlete for the day or for the week or the plan at that time phase is led by the discipline specific person. So if it's a very acute stage, the doctor would lead that uh, in a, you know, a post-acute stage in that transition from you know, immediate injury to that first you know, week or two of a rehabilitation or wherever it might be, depending on the injury, that that's being led by the, the therapists, the physios. NATs. And as that transition over time, uh, we have a very clear return to play protocol that would move into a migration between the therapist and the physical prep coach working together to lead that within the physical prep coach would eventually take over the care of that athlete as they progress through these stages of return to play. So there's no single discipline that oversees the return to play. From As the lead for the sports medicine and science department, do you have any advice on how you've been able to create that successful team off the pitch and what you look for in the practitioners that you employ? 
I inherited several people on, on the team, and I did bring some other people in onto the team specifically. So it was a combination of both. And I think the the piece I've learned over my career is to hire really good people and as well as skilled practitioners combined. I would prefer to take a well-qualified practitioner who is a good person and a good team player uh, versus the best single practitioner in a field that has no teamwork or is a very much an individual. My experience has always shown you can always go out for an expert opinion for a key specific targeted need. And I think that when you're working in a day-to-day environment, they have to be people that can work together, have a positive attitude to where we're going, and also buy into the process and the vision that you're building. You know, if I had to define what our strategy is from a club and one of the pieces I say to our group as a whole regularly is that we believe there's a better way. We believe there's a better way to provide high-level support and drive performance than currently what we do. It doesn't mean we search and randomly take things off the cuff. We approach things from an evidence-based, theory-based approach, and everybody in our group feels that way. You've made a conscious decision to employ a data science team to help inform your decisions. Could you tell us a little bit about how you work with the data science team and what metrics you use to inform what you do with the medical team? That was a really important piece for me. And the ownership group, they have a computer background. They bought into it right away from the beginning. Uh, They were very highly supportive of it, as well as the leadership, was that I wanted to build a data science team that was independent of the traditional, okay, we have a sports scientist working in our strength and conditioning realm or our performance department that will then collect the catapult or GPS data and then process it and turn it back. One of the things that we've talked about a lot here is this concept of integrated performance and to understand integrated performance and to understand the metrics that influence or attributes that influence certain metrics, you need to be able to look into all the different areas and all the factors that might drive it. And you can break performance into physical, mental, technical, tactical. You can break it into probably 20, 30 different categories. But a primary piece was that we wanted to collect all that information in one location. And I think we hired back Dr. Johan Wint, who's a fantastic young up-and-coming practitioner, but also incredible scientist. Uh, he was a doctoral student of myself and a couple other people. And he had previously worked with us at White Caps and USOC managed to take him away early on in his career. And I went back and tried to recruit him back. But I think one of the things that was really important there was that he also shared in the vision that data is a, an incredible piece to inform decisions. And one of the underpinnings of our data science department is that we use data to inform decision-making. It doesn't make decisions. You know, we talk about the types of metrics we have. We collect GPS wellness metrics. We we digitize all our medical screens. We digitize our pre-entry screens now. We digitize all the way through our academy. Our coaches digitize their uh, ratings of players into the same data science department. So we have rankings on technical, tactical. We did we we upload and uh, integrate all our event data from games for our MLS, our development squads, and our academy teams. One of the big parts around this was building an infrastructure and a platform that actually would function and allow us to be very nimble and quick without being tied to a single type of system. And we see a high level of integration occurring already, even within our, within one year, the amount of integration we have within our data science department that supports our return to play protocols, supports our physical prep, everyone's working off the same platform. And so if you take a return to play perspective is that they all understand the data streams that are coming out. They're all part of the same packages that they get back together. And so if we're looking at a return to play, 
we would track an athlete right from the minute they're injured in all our different metrics and actually bring them into a specific return to play report back for the for the team to focus on. So it doesn't matter which therapist is now working with that athlete, the transition seamless. There's been a bit of an explosion in the amount of things that we can measure and we're not always sure whether those measures are valid and applicable to the physiological processes that we want to look at. In your experience, which metrics do you find most useful to inform what you do on a day-to-day basis? It's not just about measuring data and it's making sure that the data you actually bring in is quality too. So whether someone's val- something's valid or not, but is it reliable and understand how reliable it is. And that was a primary reason why we built the data science department. So we want to be able to measure the effectiveness of any intervention that we do from coaching right through to a, a medical intervention. And to do that, we can't expect everybody to understand how to measure reliability or sensitivity or, or validity. And so having the data science department ensures that the only things that we actually measure, we're very clear on what they are and what they what they represent to us. Or they're in a sandbox phase within the data science department before rollout. One of the things that we use mostly with our clubs specifically around injury prevention would be training loads. Training loads, uh, and you know, there's a lot of people that use acute chronic training loads. Johan has pr- uh, published a fair amount in that area as well with myself. But the, the key aspect around training loads specifically is to know where your athletes are at from a load perspective relative to the demands that are going to be placed on those athletes and then ensuring that they're able to actually tolerate those demands. One of the key things when we're thinking from a specific metric is we will use a, a player load metric for, for our GPS, and that's a, an accelerometry-based metric from Catapult. And we use that as a, a volume type of metric, like how much movement, how much player load have they done knowing that there's limitations within that metric, whether they run a straight line or whether they're doing start-stop exercises. In addition to that, we will look at sprinting and we'll look at speed bands. So what is the, and specifically more very high speed and sprinting bands. So what is the tolerance of bands that they're having to, are they first of all getting closer to their max speeds? How many times are they reaching that? And are they actually able to put in a certain volume of high speed running, especially in a return to play, before they come back knowing that this is what they'll typically do in a game. So those would be our key metrics when it comes back to injury prevention. We also do a fair amount of Nordboard testing with uh, hamstring strength, and this is really to look at some minimal loads for them, or sort of minimal requirements that we want for them for loads, especially around asymmetries, and not that they have really astonishing asymmetries between left and right sides. Do you also screen the groin? All our groin testing at this time is currently uh, in manual work with the physios. We have a, a, an orthopedic screen that we typically use with the physios, and we also have a movement screen that we would do that's an in-house movement screen done from our physical prep combined with our physio group. You mentioned that you use the acute chronic workload ratio, which we know is up for some debate within the literature, and that you also look at speed bands to measure intensity. Do you use anything else to look at intensity with your athletes, and do you also monitor internal and external workload? So we will use heart rate loads and heart rate exertion loads. And quite often when we look at intensity specific, we'll take all our measures and we'll actually look at them per minute rates. So what are our density type of, if we take what's our highest, you know, five minute demand in a game that we'd see for meters per minute, or if we're looking at how many meters of high of sprinting distance per minute over a five or 10 minute band. So we'll take some, some unique metrics like that to sort of give us a sense of the density of the workload. We do use a little bit as well uh, with regards to IMA, that acceleration deceleration work from Catapult. And really what we're looking in that is how do those quantify over time? 
and what are those density of those acceleration loads when we're doing a, a high press situation and what would be the demand on a player has there ever been an instance where some of the data that you've seen has resulted in you having to change the team i think it's really important to remember that data just inform decisions there's never never data one piece of data that we would use solely it would to your point it would be something that we bring into a discussion people have been playing sport for centuries and People have had been incredibly successful, and if you actually looked at their makeup from a data side, you might be shocked at how they've been successful and or never injured. And so I think to take one piece of information and make a decision based on that is foolhardy. How have you been coping with the lockdown? We were just two games into the season. We were quite fit and a little bit of a final sort of offload in that first two weeks to prep for games. That That's when we were shut down from our league was suspended just because of coronavirus. As a club, we focused immediately right away on making sure that all the athletes had the equipment and the program they could do for home workouts. So, you know, we, we put bikes in everybody's house in, in BC. Uh, we've been very fortunate too, and the government and the medical authority here has done a fantastic job at least mitigating the potential negative effects of the virus. And so we haven't had full closures uh, as long as we're social distancing. So players were able to get out and run in an open space. So between that, we've been able to manage that. We do a lot of online workouts. So we do those three days a week, plus some prehab and rehab routines with specific groups as needed. The biggest thing is just keeping in that communication and regular contact. When you have communication with your players and your staff that it's operation normal and we're gonna continue to move forward. We have a target what we need to try to hit from a sense of making sure these athletes stay fit and ready, that everybody has a purpose and they just adjust and, and accommodate. Have you been measuring anything with the players at home to make sure that they come back game ready and not at risk of injury? As a club, we decided not to measure a lot of stuff at home. We have regular uh, one-on-one contact with the athletes once a week. We have uh, live Zoom video workouts with the athletes three times a week. They each have their own individualized programs. I think it's an uh, it's a unique situation. You could easily take technology to another level and and have everybody wearing their pods or everybody sending in heart rate monitors and we consciously made a decision not to do that at our club knowing that we didn't have a time frame there was a lot of unknowns for everyone uh it was going to be a stressful time for a lot of people our club and our players that we have here are players that are committed to the process and so we didn't feel like we needed to monitor them. That said, we did create an interesting challenge and we had a fun challenge that we did with the athletes over the month of April where everybody logged on a, a on a fitness app, their work they were doing, and there was actually a bit of a challenge to try to see who would get the most hours. There was evidence in the NFL after the lockout in 2011 that when the players came back, there was a spike in Achilles tendon injuries. Are you doing anything to mitigate against injuries such as that when you come back? I mean, I'm well aware of that, that study, and uh, we actually have talked quite a bit about it. And I think it's something we definitely want to be aware of, uh, the potential for people to get out of injury. I think there are two different situations in some ways, too, is that the MLS just came off a, a big preseason and two weeks of games. So it wasn't like they were coming into the, the suspension in in a unfit way. And I think with our club specifically, the loading that we've done, uh, we feel confident that we're doing our best to help mitigate any of those injuries. We're also aware that it's not just going to go, all of a sudden the lights are going to turn on and everybody's going to say, okay, now you're ready to play games. And so that I think is going to be a little bit different where we do have athletes at a certain level of conditioning and fitness, and they're going to take some time to adapt to on-field training. 
but we're we're fairly confident that we're going to have that opportunity to be able to at least bring athletes to that level having carried that fitness over from the last eight weeks. The one thing I would add to that is that it, it's it's an unknown, right? And so if you say there's a minimum window, like if, if there is a bit of an unknown, but if, if able, athletes are able to maintain a level of fitness to that, then you're looking at like that two, three week window of concentrated effort time on regular training on pitch to build that back up. We're not in an ideal scenario. And I think you have to have a bit of flexibility in how you assess and how you uh, evaluate what you do and don't need at this time. Do you have any other recommendations on where people can go to find out more about what makes a great data scientist or what makes a great team? I typically like to look outside our industry and, and to look at, I mean, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, if you ever listen to his videos, it's amazing to hear about how he thinks about clarity and team building and uh, being clear on your purpose. And I think it's a great leadership piece, but also there's parts in there about how you build teams. One of the easiest things that comes to mind right away is I'm watching The Last Dance, and I don't know if it's available where everybody is, but The Last Dance on Netflix about the Bulls and how they built the team around Michael Jordan uh, and how Michael Jordan had to change as an athlete to help see the team better. And that's what really drove them to their their six titles. And so I think that's a fantastic one that jumps to the top of my mind right now around building a team. Ben, thanks ever so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Remember, to stay across all of our social media, you can download the BGSM app. We hope you have a physically active day.